Hi, I'm Mike. Hey, I'm Kelsey. We're into telling you stories. Sometimes funny, sometimes awkward, sometimes creepy or sad, but who knows? Every month it's different, but no matter what, you'll be asking yourself. Okay, WTF. Welcome, friends. Hey, Mike. Oh, hey, Kelsey. <laughs> what are you doing over there? Oh, I just like uh, shoveled a whole bunch of food into my face uh, as you watched me. And then now we're, <laughs> it's not Pretending a weird thing. Not in that happened. way. Not yeah. in that way. But yeah, yeah. it just pretending I mean, it never happened. Yeah. Yep. Uh, now I'm finishing this coffee mm-hmm. and I did all my adulting this morning. So Good. Um, I do my adulting after 10 a.m. After 10. Oh, that's smart. But after 10 a.m. I like to like lay around like a blob. So, oh, you know, that's like 3 p.m. plus. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I'm Pat. My husband is uh very long bike ride today. It's a beautiful day. Course, Yesterday was atrocious. Yes, of course. What else would he be doing? It rained like crazy yesterday. Uh, mm-hmm. So today I'm excited to see the sun. So I'm hoping I'll get out there with the dog and do something. Um, that would be nice. Yeah, I think so. I think it would be. And it's like, it's hard because after the rain, the trails are real wet. So And the dog anyway. gets real dirty. It's real dirty and real, and I just like fall my butt constantly. So, um, and then I have mud butt, not in that way, but Mm. in the truest form. Not to kink shame. We're not, we are not kink shamers here. If you're into mud butt, yeah, it's all you. It's all you. It's a you thing. But I'm excited about this today. Episode four. I can't believe it. I know. I'm, I'm just excited. This is, we we live real lives constantly every day, and to be able to do this is such a joy. And to be able to do this with someone who's so flexible <laughs> is the greatest joy because sometimes it's just a, a life is a lot. Uh, yeah, I I say it as the person who usually is like Kelsey. I can't do it. I can't. No, do it it's today. not just you. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just you. Yeah, shall we? Shall we dive in? We shall. All right. Oh man. I I really I I do like my story today. I mean, like I can't is, wait. like I is like is a wait. weird word. I was just so shocked by this one that that's the part I like about it. It's just like it feels so unbelievable. Um, yes. but it's very real. So uh for my story today, I took a lot of different uh resources. Best Lovejoy wrote an article for Smithsonian.com. Elizabeth Nix wrote one for history.com, Caitlin Tiffany for The Verge, Gary Sweeney from Crime Library, the Oklahoma Historical Society, uh, J. Mark Powell, who's an author, and Michael Ritt, who is also an author. They all contributed to my retelling of this story. Okay, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I am leaning into my previous uh, true crime fanatic persona for this okay. story. Perfect. It does have some wild twists and turns, and it's just, like, truly bizarre. And I'd never heard of it before, which kind of actually, it shocks me. And I'm curious if you've heard of it before, but I'm so glad I happened upon it because I just, like, can't get over it. So let's dive in. On our screen here, we've got a man named Elmer McCurdy. He was born January 1st of 1980 or 1880 in Washington, Maine, but he actually grew up in Ohio. He was one of six siblings and from a very poor family. Um, His father was an alcoholic and his mother passed away when he was young. So he was primarily in the care of his older siblings. Just also Washington, Maine. I was like, where does that, where is that? (laughs) Um, I live in Maine and have no idea where it is. I mean, even the map on here doesn't really tell me anything. What does it tell you as the main Um... person? It tells me that it is on the way to down East Maine. So like Bar Perfect. Harbor area, okay. um, but kind of boonies-ish. Apologies to yeah. anyone who's listening in Washington, Listen, Maine. It's um, fine. I mean, yeah. there won't be many of them if there are, because it's the population was quite small. It was small then, but it's still small. As you can probably tell by this, the sign on the top there that says Washington Village, and it's... It looks quite quaint. 
<laughs> it does. Yeah. So Almer had a pretty troubled childhood, uh, a lot of difficulty in school. He dropped out at a young age and he worked a whole bunch of different odd jobs to support himself. Oh, before I say, have you heard of Elmer? Is Elmer familiar to you? As of yet, no. Okay. Okay. He worked in lead mines uh, and did a brief stint in the army, but that didn't really last. Um, Also, he was himself a raging alcoholic. Uh, I'm laughing. It's not funny, but I'm just like, there's a lot going on here. By the time he was a teen, he had been in and out of jail many times. And he became pretty notorious for uh, really daring robberies of a variety of different kinds, uh, escaping from authorities. Um, And during his criminal, I guess, quote unquote, career, (laughs) if you want to call it that, Uh, He became really proficient at safe, um, cracking safes, and he was a train robber and a far less than proficient concoctor of explosives, uh, which was really in thanks to his brief stint in the army. He spent a lot of time on explosives, uh, which clearly made him interested in that, but didn't do much because he failed at that tremendously. So he was involved in a variety of criminal gangs throughout his life. The most notable one was a group of train robbers. They were known as the Wild Bunch. They were really active in the early 1900s and responsible for a bunch of really high-profile train robberies, primarily in the Midwest. I found a lot of kind of, I don't know, twists and turns in like his actual involvement with them. It was unclear if he was actually a part of the gang or like a peripheral part of the gang. Subcontracted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, that seems more likely based on, it doesn't seem like he was like a, he's not present in the photo that's on the screen of the core people of the Wild Bunch, um, but that is the Wild Bunch. But he definitely had moments with them. So it's generally believed that he had joined them in around 1910 uh, to participate in some of their robberies. Speaking of, one of his most famous crimes was a bank robbery in Cos City, Oklahoma. And it was in 1911. So about a year after he's thought to have joined the Wild Bunch. Or wait, yeah, right? The Wild Bunch. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> what are they called? Yeah, the Wild Bunch. I'm yeah, like, the wait, Wild Bunch. Sounds so weird, like a bunch of bananas. I don't know. Or grapes, um, just, I don't know. <clears throat> they're just a bunch of grapes and bananas. Um, So wild. They all wore Fruit uh, of the Loom underwear. Which yes. is how they got their name. And that's they they are the still the sponsors today. Yeah. Um, so if you are wearing Fruit of the Loom, you are you part, are of, part the of the Wild Bunch. <laughs> so he and the gang plan to rob a local bank, but their plan went awry when they targeted the wrong one. So as a result, the robbers, meaning Elmer and friends, they only managed to steal less than fifty dollars, which was not what they were looking for. And things really took a turn for the worse when the police caught up with the gang and a shootout ensued. And during that shootout, Elmer was hit multiple times and ultimately killed. And the other gang members uh, scattered after his death. And really their whereabouts after that uh, and the activities that ensued after that are pretty much unknown. But Elmer's body was taken to the Johnson Funeral Home, which was in Pahuska, Pahuska? Oklahoma. What it looks like, yeah. Yeah, Pahuska, Pahuska. So it was taken, his body was taken to the Johnson Funeral Home, and it was embalmed with basically a shit ton of arsenic-based solution. Okay. Now, I'm about to take a, a hard right okay. <laughs> to talk about something called the $6 million man. Okay. <laughs> have you seen this series? Yes, yeah. You have? Uh- reruns yeah when i was oh a kid gosh. yeah for sure Ooh. this like heart to heart and columbo absolutely bionic woman yeah yeah oh my gosh okay so you might ha- be aware of this without being aware of this all right so we're taking this hard right to mike's favorite childhood drama <laughs> the six million dollar man tv series uh ran from 1974 to 1978 And the premise is basically following the adventures of a former astronaut named Steve Austin. I mean, I should just be asking you what the, what this is about. (laughs) Um, And Steve Austin was given bionic implants after he experienced a devastating accident. So with audiences, the show was a hit and it, to our 
learnings today has remained pop culture icon mm-hmm. uh, even still. So uh, as Mike is very aware of it. So because yes. he's seen every episode and no. uh, behind him <laughs> is uh, a yeah, full, it's all full statue of Steve Austin. <laughs> yeah, No, that's not from the fifth element. That's from the bionic. <laughs> Oh my gosh, so funny. <laughs> so, I promise that Elmer still matters here to this I story. I believe you. Let's go. Okay. So, the convergence of Elmer and the $6 million man is really where the OKWTF moment really kind of hits you. Okay. In season two, episode called The $7 Million Man, Steve Austin is tasked with retrieving a robotic arm from a secret military base. Ring a bell? <laughs> I'm I'm trying. I'm trying. When he arrives at the secret military base, he finds that the arm has been attached to a seemingly lifeless body. And it wasn't until then. Do you know this episode? No, but I I'm starting to pick up the trail of where you're going. Okay. Okay. It wasn't until 1976 during the filming of an episode of the Six Million Dollar Man spinoff series, which is The Bionic Woman. So 1976 is the year we're talking about for this. That the truth behind that prop, that seemingly lifeless body from season two of The Six Million Dollar Man was revealed. A crew member noticed that one of the dummies used on the set was particularly heavy. And upon closer inspection after a malfunction with the dummy's arm, meaning it broke off and showed bone, it was discovered that it was a real human body. And Mm -hmm. that it was the acid-embalmed corpse of Elmer McCurdy. Okay, it gets weirder. Great. (laughs) So, although the botched robbery, which happened over 60 years earlier, that's how much acid was in this man's body because he was still a body. The robbery was relatively insignificant in the grand scheme of things because Mm. it clearly had these far-reaching consequences uh, for Elmer's posthumous legacy, if you will. After his body was not claimed from that morgue back in 1911, the undertaker decided to make some money, Um, Mm -hmm. likely because it cost him money to embalm him and to hold him there. This is not condoning what he did, but he put the man on, he put Elmer on display for a nickel of viewing, but his life after death didn't end here. Okay. So a few years. Oh yeah. So on the left, (laughs) that's Elmer's prop body. (laughs) Um, A.K.A. Elmer's body. Yes, his body. Yes, <laughs> both a prop and a body. <laughs> so a few years after The Undertaker started making money off of Elmer's corpse, a man claiming to be Elmer's brother showed up to the morgue to take the body back to be buried. The Undertaker reluctantly gave the man the body, obviously because he was like, I'm making money off of this body. But of course, if it's his relative, he you know, gave it up. The man was, of course, not Elmer's brother. It's just right. someone who had heard about all the money being made. Um, his name was James Patterson. Um, so essentially, the undertaker sold Elmer's body to the owner of a traveling carnival. And mm-hmm. Elmer subsequently became a popular attraction throughout the United States. Yes. You'd think that this was the end. No, it's not. It's just the beginning. <laughs> it's just the beginning. <laughs> so somehow... Elmer also found his way into several different additional carnival shows, a display in a movie theater for the 1933 film, The Narcotic, or Narcotic, exclamation mark, and as a tourist attraction near Mount Rushmore. He even ended up at a fun house in California in the 1960s, where viewers actually thought that he was a mannequin or a wax statue. Eventually, Elmer's body ended up in the hands of the Hollywood prop company, and well, We now know what happened from there. Mm -hmm. But because of these bizarre events, Elmer McCurdy became a folk hero and a symbol of the strange and unusual, deeply embedded in our American pop culture, especially at that time. (laughs) This is just so wild to me. (laughs) So the discovery of Elmer's corpse being used as a prop ultimately caused media uproar, Uh, especially like, I can't believe that it was, he died in 1911. They found him in the late 70s. It's just wild. And his the use of his body in The Six Million Dollar Man and The Bionic Woman was widely criticized. So Elman, Elman's, Almond. Elman Manny's, um, <laughs> Elmer's remains uh, were eventually buried in a 
proper cemetery on April 22nd, 1977, while over 300 people looked on. According to author Michael R. Ritt, two feet of concrete was poured over the casket before the grave was filled in just to make sure, quote, that McCurdy stayed put. His grave sits at the Boot Hill area of a cemetery in Guthrie, Oklahoma, uh, right next to outlaw Bill Doolin's grave. And I believe Bill Doolin was one of the people from the Wild Bunch. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, laws or regulations were passed to prevent the use of real human bodies as props in movies and television shows. And the use of a real corpse as a prop remains one of the most shocking and honestly confusing and disturbing stories in TV history. Uh, And it's a reminder of the strange and often macabre nature of show business, and it serves as a cautionary tale. But of course, I like to end with a little something, something. So I'm going to force you to listen to uh, a song that was written about him. It's not the whole song. The whole song, if people want to listen to it, is like five minutes long. This is just like, I want to say it's like a minute or something. Okay. Um, So here we go. Funny. If you ever get to thinking your hard luck's got you sinking, you don't know how much more you can bear. Remember this song about Elmer McCurdy, who took a bit more than his share. Now the story begins in an old LA funhouse, <laughs> carnival props and machines. A TV crew came in with cameras and booms and extras to set up a scene. Uh, there's an old funhouse monster of plaster and wires. It stood in the corner alone. Somebody bumped him and broke off an arm. <laughs> Inside the arm was a bone. Whoop. <laughs> Whoa. Now the authorities called Whoa. for an investigation. Whoa, hey. To see if a crime had been done and found Elmer McCurdy, a mummified outlaw that for years was a figure of fun. So this is the story of Elmer McCurdy. He lived just a little too late. <laughs> for the West had been one when he put on his gun. Lord, he was gone when he rode through the gate. <laughs> so there you are. Um, it goes on and on. It's like a five minute song that basically tracks everything I just told you. Okay. But I was like laughing so hard because someone spent time making this. <laughs> so anyway, that is the story of the corpse prop, a.k.a. Alma McCarty. That was wonderful. Have you heard about this? I had not heard about this. I'd heard about another thing. The Poltergeist movie. You know, um, oh. have you ever watched it? I have, and I vaguely remember what you're talking about, but say it. No, or spoiler warning for like a 45, 50 year old movie when they're in the pool and they find out like, oh my God, you built this on an old Native American Mm -hmm. burial ground. And there's like some skeletons that are popping up. Apparently like one or a couple of them were real human skeletons. Yikes. Oh, awful. Yeah. So was this clear post when these laws and regulations went into play so that was 77 um yeah it probably the laws probably took a while because everything takes so long so when yeah poltergeist was like late 70s 80s. early 80s yeah so probably not yet to be honest but i didn't look that deeply afterwards because i was like this is just insane <laughs> like out of control um, 1982 yeah. poltergeist okay yeah so probably on the cusp is my best guess Wild ride, wild ride. That was Thank good. You for joining me. That was <laughs> wonderful. That Oops. I love the twisty uh, turnies. Uh, so twisty turny. Yes. So twisty turny, just like unreal. So, thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for sharing my story. If we are ready for it. Uh, oh yeah. Our show is OKWTF, okay, and um. <laughs> An acronym that makes me think OKWTF okay, from my own from our own lives <laughs> is Y2K. Like <laughs> Y2K, OKWTF, okay, what's yeah. Um nothing. So my you're right. 
my story is Y-O-Y-2-K. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> the, uh, the story sources I found on National Geographic, uh, their education side, all about the Y2K bug, just because I was like, I remember being alive during this and i remember all of the hysteria uh, <laughs> and my dad like worked somewhat in his it department at his insurance company so okay. like leading up to it there were there was definitely like right talk now. in the house about it um, mm. also of course wikipedia gotta use it um <laughs> it is <laughs> modern most valid reference encyclopedia <laughs> britannica oh my um, gosh. but so see cute. Let's begin. I have Britannica on the next one as a source. Uh, Time.com, IFLScience.com, mm. um, HistoricUK.com, Smithsonian Magazine, another Wikipedia, and a quote investigator. So a fact checking website uh, mm. that will come into play at the very tail end of my story. Okay. So. I wanted to talk with you and our listeners about the many doomsdays that we have survived <laughs> throughout the years. We had like recently 2012, um, throughout the 80s, the 90s, there was the four failed doomsdays of the, I think he was the pastor or the commentator, Harold Camping. Um, there was the Heaven's Gate, uh, <laughs> the, the Comet one with the juice and, and not mm -hmm. so and some culty oh. things. <laughs> what was so 2012? Was, 2012 was supposedly the Mayan apocalypse. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. wow, we've forgotten even yeah, that. We are tena tenacious here, like, as a society. Yeah. Everything's like, ending okay. all the time. <laughs> um, speaking of that. which, speaking of which, I was born in 1985, and if there are any listeners who are also born in 1985, we have survived 49 supposed apocalypses. Wow. Uh, at, as of this recording, I'm sure there's going to be more. Congratulations, Mike. Yeah, yeah, you have a few less than me, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> Celebrate. Yeah. That's um, like survived 40, whatever. <laughs> I know. I should. We should make sure it's okay. WTF surviving 49 apocalypses and counting. Um, so let's talk about Y2K. What was it? There might be even some listeners who are like, what are you talking about? Is this it? Um, no. That, yeah. Well, it, that's coming into play. Okay. Um, so that actually you can... <laughs> no, you can, you can okay. switch over to it. I'm gonna, so that is go. uh, Haley's Comet, which okay. played a role in Heaven's Gate and a few other apocalypses because it traverses the our skies every i forget if it's 71 years or 76 years i think mm. it's 76 so before comets come astronomers are like oh my god the world's ending because anything weird in our sky means the world is ending, <laughs> the world is ending. so y2k uh on the screen we have some weekly world news covers i'm not sure if you remember being young and like waiting for your mom to finish at the supermarket or your <laughs> dad or whoever your guardian um seeing these all over the counter it's almost impossible to think about now, but in mm. the later part of the 20th century, uh, our computer systems, the way that they were programmed, had only just really been integrated into like the stock market, banking, mm. insurance, kind of like everyday life. Phones, cars, they started getting the computer chips and communication, stuff like that. Just briefly condensing what Y2K is, just because I don't want to spend forever on it. You're like, by the way, this is a Y2K podcast now. <laughs> yeah, now it is. Now it is. Okay, WTF Y2K. <laughs> um, storage and computing used to be like super expensive, like mm. byte for byte. Uh, I think it was like between $10 or $100 per kilobyte. Wow. Um, so that's like really small characters. They would have to try and save as much as they could. Um, so anything to reduce data was used. Mm. And one of the things was fixing. 19 as the prefix for the year and so the only thing that would change in computer hardware software would be the last two digits so mm -hmm. 1987 98 99 oh my god what happens at zero people thought that when it went to zero it would say 1900 
instead of jumping uh... up to 2000, what would that affect? Um, so one of the major fears was like, especially in banking, in terms of like interest calculations, hmm. um, trying to figure out like, okay, this person has had it for two years as of 1999. <laughs> but if it goes back to 1900, it's like, oh my God, we owe this person because mm-hmm. they've had it for negative years now. And people were like freaking out. I'm not sure if you remember. I do. But uh, as this, the news covers, I'll just read some of the things that are on there. All the banks are going to fail. <laughs> All the food's going to be gone. Stock market, that's just all gone. Electricity is going to be cut off. Any uh, cars that have computer chips are just going to stop. Planes are going to fall <laughs> from the sky. And that is one that my dad would be talking about. Um, <laughs> Did he believe it? So, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Ken. No, it's okay. Because uh, I did ask him if I was allowed uh, to talk okay. about this. Okay. At our, we have a family dinner because I live not very far from my father this past week. And I said, am I allowed to talk about what life was like in uh, the household in which I grew up? Mm. Um, and he said, yeah, sure, that's fine. And my sister laughed about it pretty hard, too. Um, <laughs> so he... He worked at an insurance company in Massachusetts. I won't name the one, but it was the major one uh, for Massachusetts. He moved around a lot. And one of the places he went to was um, IT. And that was just in time for legislation, which would come out for mm-hmm. Y2K. Because people were talking about this, like leading up into the later 1980s and all throughout the oh, 1990s. Wow. Like, oh, my God. We really need to make sure nothing bad is going to happen. So my dad was part of, I think it was either Congress. I know Bill Clinton signed it into law about like getting ready for the potential horrors of Y2K, uh, making sure the nukes didn't all fly at the same time. So my dad was part of the, he was one of the people in charge at this insurance company to make sure that they followed all these processes completely so that nothing bad would happen. Mm. If it were to happen January 1st, 2020, (laughs) I remember uh, new year's Eve. Oh yeah. I was going to (laughs) say that was like the one new year's Eve where he stayed awake because usually he doesn't. Um, And he was like, for audio listeners, like I, gri- I grip, yeah, I grip my desk and like went really close to the screen. <laughs> but yeah, it was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> we'll find out if if anything we did is going to make a difference. Um, so, <laughs> I should also mention just before this, um, it was my first interaction with. Um, or I guess it might be my first memory of like, oh, this is what prepping is. Mm. Um, So people who just went through COVID, we remember like the toilet paper shortage, uh, (laughs) the paper towel shortage, everything was going crazy. Y2K was like way worse than that. Um, We had canned (laughs) foods, anything perishable going down my basement. We had like a, a inset storage going all the way down and then we had a pretty big basement like which had a rec room and then storage in the back chalk full of beans ramen tuna oil like anything that was non-perishable full just totally full it took us years to get through that stuff i was gonna say did you get through it did you get rid of Uh, eventually no i mean yeah anything that was like Anything that we knew we wouldn't get through, uh, mm-hmm. we definitely donated. Um, yeah. So that that's wow. good. But yeah, definitely my first like, oh, this is there's actually a community of preppers, and this was like one of the preppers had been around for like you mm-hmm. know decades and decades and decades, but yeah. this was like the one that really like amped it up. So Y2K, New Year's Eve happened. There was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> It was like a whole lot of anticlimactic. Totally anticlimactic. Um, very similar to 2012. I had a coworker at the time who was like, I'm not coming into work. 
And if you make me come into work, I'm wearing sneakers so I can run <laughs> should I need to. But like nothing happened and nothing happened in Y2K. And a lot of people will say like, oh, nothing happened at Y2K because of all of the things we did, mm. all of the program changes we made. But that's not taking into account all of the um, different countries in the world that didn't have mm. all right. their GDP to like take care of this. So there were like dozens and dozens of countries that did nothing for Y2K. And guess what? They're nothing, still here. nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happened. Nothing happened. Weird. I think like there was a train ticket thing that malfunctioned, and mm. that was pretty much it. On the next slide, we have some more fear mongering. This <laughs> is so Free American Magazine. Wow, that surviving the year two Yeah, Best Buy had a sticker. <laughs> remember to turn your computer off before midnight. And I remember. I remember that, that sticker. I remember that sticker. And I remember the conversations about it, like shut down your computer so it doesn't fry and like all that stuff. I kind of oh, want to go wow. on like eBay or Etsy or something or um, yeah. somewhere where they treat their sellers decently um, <laughs> and put, grab one of those stickers and put it on my computer. Truly. Uh, Time Magazine, End of the World. Yeah, there was like Antichrist, you know, like the all the common players, all the best acts were, were going to be coming out for Y2K. But I'm bringing up, up Y2K for a reason, because yeah. I remember like kind of understanding it, but also mm -hmm. at the same time being like, well, this is weird. Like how many <laughs> <laughs> we were supposed to die and we haven't. And yeah. um, like, when has this happened in the past? So I started going through a rabbit hole like you do of like, where are some other crazy ones uh, that we were supposed to die and we didn't. So on the next slide, I'm going to be talking about the Great <laughs> Fire of London. Ooh. And this is a beautiful painting if you're watching. And so it's the 1660s in London. We're going to jump back to 1660s mm. as the calendar marches closer to the beast number of 1660 or 666 you know like in the bible yeah. that's supposed to be like oh, oh my god the devil's gonna yeah, come so god. in my mind i'm like well this ties in perfectly with y2k because as the calendar marches closer mm. to 2000 people are freaking out but 1666 people are getting nervous uh the world's gonna end is the antichrist gonna rise British people, um, especially like puritanical um, Quakers, uh, anything who's like a zealous religious mm. persuasion was was getting ready. Reaching six, out. Six, six was coming. They considered London to be this sinful city. And uh, Charles II had just been like reinstated. And that's a whole other story, which I won't get into. But he was uh, immoral and his court was debaucherous and lecherous and all other fun SAT words that mean bad. So all these perspectives from the religious people uh, fueled the fear that the wrath of God was imminent. And of course, mm. 1666, it has to be. Mm -hmm. um, so even people who weren't really from religious people, because they mm. were like so inundated with all of this prophecy and the world's going down, they started believing it and they, everyone was kind of like, it's going to happen in 1666. It's going to happen. And everyone kind of, there were like a couple different things. And in 1665, there was a plague, <laughs> you know, so that, that's not great. Um, there were plagues before. And uh, as recent history shows, there are plagues after, um, mm -hmm. but a lot There's of people dancing were like, plague, dancing plague, dancing plague, just saying. <laughs> Um, a lot of people believed it was going to be a fire because what are the weapon? Mm. What is the weapon of God and the devil? Both of them can oh. fire. So everyone's like, it's going down. It's all going to burn. And there was a Quaker preacher who actually said in 1666, his name was um, Humphrey Smith. Mm. He had a vision of London just full of fire. And um, <laughs> it God. It's weird, um, but it, it, it did happen. Um, it wasn't because of the Antichrist. It was, and I love, I, I don't love that this happened because, you know, actually like only about 10 people so far 
that people oh, historians believe died as of this recording. Like there's some historians that are like, no, actually it was a little bit more, but all I could find was 10. It started mm-hmm. at a bakery on Pudding Lane. And I just <laughs> I'm sorry. I, that's I love that. I love that part of it. I don't love that anyone like, lost their lives or the proper damage. Yeah. Of um, course. Oh man. But a lot of it had to do with all the sensationalism that was causing this uproar. And it reminded me of Y2K. Like mm. all of the magazines, all of the people, news, even like Congress was freaking was out talking <laughs> about this. And so, like, I jump back to 1666. Uh. Almanac writers are like, we got to capitalize on this. This is where the money is. Mm. Um, so, even back then, people were doing it, mainstream media. Shaking my finger at you. Shake that finger. <laughs> oh, man. That's sensationalism. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it was not of a divine punishment, but it was a bakery fire. The fire did destroy 80% of London. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was mostly like wood buildings. So yeah. the way London was back then, there was like the old Roman wall. And then there mm-hmm. was another wall that kind of like came into it. It took out like a good portion of what was in the wow. old Roman wall and some of outside of there. So like it's also spelled prophecy almost though. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of like, Oh my God, fire. It's going to happen. <laughs> so part of me is like, did the, was the baker just like, yeah, might as well. Um, she seems good. <laughs> yeah. It's a little warm. It hasn't rained yeah. in a while. We had to play last year. This job. Yeah. <laughs> just like take it all out. You know what it was? It was probably uh, one of my wife's past lives, and she saw a spider in the bakery. <laughs> <laughs> and and she, she literally burned it down. Yeah, um, I would do it. I, would t- I second that. I so second then, it. rabbit hole again time for Mike. Where, where are all these things coming from? Like, what is our hysteria with like end of the world type things? Mm. And I, I started to realize, like, um, I, I love old mythologies. Mm. Um, it was a huge study of mine when I was in college and beforehand. So I started thinking back to some of those on the next slide, we should see a scene from like Ragnarok battle of the doomed gods. Um, so Ragnarok is all about the world ending. It's all about gods fighting gods and monsters. Mm. And we also have like the flood mm. either from the Abrahamic traditions or from the Epic of Gilgamesh, which we preceded that, but that's again another story. We have Revelation in the Bible too, so it's it's a story as old as storytelling. Really, it's mm. like the first sensational story. Like the end of the world is coming, so we need to prepare ourselves. And it's just we keep doing this to ourselves. I wanted to find the oldest one. Yeah. So I did some digging. Oh my god! And <laughs> I I really couldn't find anything concrete. Um, which is why on the next slide, there should be an old Assyrian tablet. And I put a big uh-huh. old red X on there. Okay. I, I'm not putting a big old red X on this particular tablet because it is the flood tablet, as I mentioned just previously, of the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is one of the oldest stories that hmm. we have recorded. But I kept coming across a certain quote that was misattributed to this tablet and a couple other tablets that are similar. It was all like cuneiform tablets. That quote was, our earth is degenerate in these later days. There are signs that the world is speedily coming to an end. Bribery and corruption are common. Children no longer obey their parents. Every <laughs> man wants to write a book and the end of the world is evidently approaching. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes, those, yeah. all those items lead to, yes, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Patriarchy. <laughs> Book writing, oh, end of the world, different. children are talking back. So I was like, there's no, I, when I read that, I'm like, there's no way, there's no way that that's what this is. So I, yeah. I went through like a bunch and I was like, okay, so where does that quote come from? And so this quote comes from like a bicyclist magazine from 1908, where they just kind of like made it up. And when they made it up, it was from 5000 BCE. And like, Um, I'm looking at this tablet. I'm like, this is like 7th century BCE. So none of this is messing up. So all of this to say, 
do your research people mm. and especially when it comes to like end of the world stuff mm. like, think critically that's why i put that big x there <laughs> like just do some reading listen to the experts but you know think critically always <laughs> well it's a, a big ask for some people yes yes so that is my story oh my o- god okay wtfy2k and I really want to know more about Gilgamesh. I've never oh, it's, it's really good. It's actually really, really, really good. Um, hmm. Even for people who do not find themselves like any kind of religious or myth persuasion at all, it is like honestly one of the one of the oldest ones. A lot of religions that came <clears throat> after borrowed heavily huh. from from this so you're gonna see things that are all so familiar interesting uh, from the epic of gilgamesh i mean there's some obviously there's some problematic oh yeah (laughs) problematic stuff but this was a a long time ago uh they did not know any better i would recommend that's recommended interesting interesting fascinating i so remember y2k i have this like I do remember the Best Buy t- a sticker. And I also just remember, I, it must have been New Year's Eve, sitting in front of the TV <laughs> and just being like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Um, how old was I? I was I was 13. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I was probably there, like, sitting at my house with friends, like, you know, just waiting to see what would happen. I don't remember my parents being, like, particularly fearful about I was going to ask that. Sure. I, I totally skipped over my note here ask no. Kelsey about her experiences <laughs> with Y2K yeah discussion with Kelsey about some of the things we remember from that time we were told might happen uh, no I mean <laughs> I'm just like thinking back to it and I just the biggest memory I remember a lot of the chatter I remember hearing about it and it being a thing a big thing but I also yeah, and I remember New Year's Eve, but I have that one distinct memory of just like sitting in front of the TV, just like watching and waiting and listening. But that was about it. Mm. I I do recall people talking a lot about canned food. That was a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't remember. I'll have to ask my parents. I don't remember if they like particularly believed it, stocked up on it, anything. But and we always had computers, but neither of my parents were like heavy into the computer world. So mm. if anything, I'm sure it would be more so like the generalized fear related to like the banking industry and all that stuff. But um, wild. (laughs) Always wild. (laughs) What a ride. Thanks, Ken Morrison too. Oops. I said his last name. Cut that. Thanks, Ken. Actually, our last names are on there. So I guess. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't say Morrison household before. Yeah. Because I was like, did we say your last name? Yeah, that's fine. We did on the um, website. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Um, Morrison household. Ken Morrison. Yeah. Thanks, Ken. Do you want his social? Yeah. Yes. I want your social. And I'm going to tag you in a bunch of Y2K throwback stuff. (laughs) Oh, I meant social security number. But no, that's much better. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This is so funny. I actually saw a meme recently of or it was a video that someone took um it was on a social media and uh it was a mother who was filming her son after he opened up the bank account at his first bank account and um (laughs) in the car in the car uh she like record she was recording and she goes can you please tell me what you said when the bank teller asked you for your social he said instagram <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is the interesting difference in like language yeah, and sure. the impact of language on society and how we probably don't think about that. Wait, I mean, I would have how old he was, was he? Up, uh, like a young teen, maybe. Well, he was driving, so six fifteen, maybe like per- driver's permit kind of age. I would have um, figured Snapchat. Yeah, sure. or like TikTok, right? Yeah. Um, but he said Instagram. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. So funny. Um okay. makes me laugh. But these Maybe, were Yeah, they so were great. <laughs> and if anyone has any um stories of their own about yes. coming across a long dead criminal at a fun <laughs> house, I would we would love to hear it. Yeah. Um, 
any like crazy Y2K things that happened to you? Oh my gosh. Yes. Let us know. Any other preppers? <laughs> How many beans did everyone it. go through? Oh my God. Yeah. What did your parents save? Are, do they still have the leftover stock from that? Like, I I want to know all of those things. I also, yeah, I definitely want to know, like, the creepiest things you've seen in, like, a fun house or <laughs> whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I've seen Lay some things that look like desiccated old bodies. Yeah. I be surprised. So wild. That was so wild. I couldn't imagine being the prop person no. who discovered that. Like, no. ugh. No. No, no, no. Or like the PAs who had to move it into perfect place. Yeah. Like... No. Oh. Uh, now you have to go back and like watch that episode. I do. <laughs> we should have a rewatch party. Oh my gosh, we should. Just like uh, we, we don't need any other context other than season two episode, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <I'll> <laughs> the seven million dollar man. I'll find it. I'll find it. Yeah. Find it and look for that lifeless body. Yep. Wild. Perfect. This was such a joy as always. I loved it. Yeah. I can't believe it's episode four. Episode four. Rocking it. Crazy. Rolling it. Crazy. As I think we still haven't like fully settled on it, but I know that we both kind of like have a, who do we think one? And then I also, the audience needs to. Yes. I think one. Who so won? in my mind, very clearly you won this episode. What? Yes. Why? Yours was more collaborative. <laughs> with what my 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 father <laughs> like yes, my you brought, no. you brought personal details <laughs> okay and okay. it was a shared experience <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. I, i'd be i would be i'm gonna interrupt you here uh yeah i would be really concerned if your story was collaborative like you had so personal way, details great 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 no <laughs> well i do know that and that is a great story we should save um yeah, <laughs> uh but you also did a story that everyone can relate to not everyone but a lot of people i don't know i for me it's your story i did like my story i'm not gonna lie <laughs> but i did like your story too i liked my oh i just like kicked the whole table Whoa, um, <laughs> that was by the way y2k is happening right now here <laughs> Just oh, no. <laughs> uh, I just, yeah, I don't know. I really, it was a nice nostalgia moment. Well, that, maybe that's why the video didn't play either earlier. I know we cut it to make it look all professional, um, but it took like five minutes for <laughs> that, the to song that to, play. to play. Yeah, yeah. it was Y2K. The whole time. Yeah, it was Y2K the whole time. Yeah. I turned my computer back while you were talking to 1999 yeah. at 12 uh, or 11.59 p.m. Yep. Yep. And it was exactly at that moment. Damn. Wild. Why'd you case I know. I know. It's just, what a journey. What a journey. <laughs> Thank you for this joyous time that we get to spend every couple weeks or week or so yeah. <laughs> doing, right. learning all of these holes that we fall down daily. Um, I already have my next story, too. I know so you said you do as well. It has I just to discovered do, it. It kind of yeah. has to do with this story. Uh, I found it, it. Well, almost. Well, okay. no, not even. No, that's okay. not. Okay. But when I was going through my list of previous apocalypses or times when the world was going to end, like this yeah. wasn't this wasn't a time where the world was going to end, but it yeah. was something that was so, yeah, weird, so yep. weird. I I was like I can't add this to this story it has to be its own it, interesting it i like that it's like part b so yeah. <laughs> it'll be good mine yeah. is totally could not get further <laughs> from being related uh something we discovered this morning and fell down a hole on and then pat looked at me and was like this should be your next story and i was like <laughs> okay it's way lighthearted, so uh we'll we'll shake it up a bit but <laughs> <laughs> perfect uh can you guess what our stories are i guess there you go <laughs> yeah we'll have a guess guess what's yeah next. i like that a little hint here my hint is that it's lighthearted. that's it <laughs> could be anything my <laughs> could be hint... nostalgic okay mine is that it happened in the past oh there's only a handful of things that could be <laughs> yeah 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 uh my kelsey thank you 
Thank you for for it all. (laughs) Until next time. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Where can people leave us all the things? All the things. I mean, you should find us on any of your preferred social medias that we're a part of. uh, Okay. WTF podcast. Um, They can also send us an email. I believe that is hello at Mm -hmm. okwtfpodcast.com. Anything would be appreciated. Yeah, Um, submit your stories. Let us know anything that's going on, Mm. anything you found funny, anything you found disturbing from (laughs) our episodes. Please forward right to us. Yes, we'll read them. We'll laugh. We'll cry. It'll be great. (laughs) Until next time. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Flag Day. <laughs> Wait, will this be on Flag Day? Because this will be the no, fourth episode. I just want to say. <laughs> Thanks for getting weird with us. Submit your own OKWTF stories for us to share by visiting www.okwtfpodcast.com. And stay in touch on all the social platforms at OKWTF Podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to OKWTF on your streaming service of choice. Thank you so much to Out of Flux and Ayal Talmudi for the use of their song, Da Boom Jiggle. And thank you to Bilal Sarwar for their incredible cover art. Until next time. <laughs>